Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. And whether today is your first time with us or your 100th time today, it's a great day to be with us because today kicks off one of my favorite seasons of the year around here when it comes to what we are as a church and what we do as a church. And that's our whole four um, season. And I just love this season because when our church um, chooses to do four every fall. It's just our way of going over the top to show our communities in a powerful and a public way that we are for our communities. So as we begin our conversation today, I want to remind us why four is so vital to the mission that we feel that God has called us to as a church. So in Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus, he records this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And in this conversation, Jesus makes a declaration that was so inconceivable to the crowd that was listening that day that they just had a hard time believing it. So here's the declaration Jesus made that was just inconceivable. We find this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, nobody listening that day believed that this Jewish teacher by the name of Jesus and his small group of followers could bring about any kind of positive change in the world. They, they never felt like that Jesus and his disciples could turn the world upside down. But Jesus comes along and he says, I'm telling you, I'm going to build my church. And when he said, I'm going to build my church, he's talking about my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement. And he's saying, it's going to happen. And he says, and hatred and corruption and injustice and even the gates of Hades and death will not overcome it or hold it back. And those words that Jesus spoke that day, they must have felt so hollow and so unbelievable to that crowd that was listening. I mean, to them, there is no way this movement this thing that Jesus is calling the church, there's no way it could thrive at the level that the Roman Empire would crumble and the Roman Empire would crumble. But here's what we all know. This declaration, it happened. And here we are today in a church or gathered as a church. We're in a building, but the people are the church and we are proof of this declaration. So what started as this insignificant movement in a remote corner of the Roman Empire, it grew and it spread and it spread and it impacted thousands and thousands of people's lives. And the Roman Empire, it fell. I mean, think about it. Powerful men and their armies and their decrees, they all passed away. But the church, the movement that Jesus promised and Jesus established is still here today. Now, this declaration, that was then, and this is now. In fact, we, we've come a long way from the time of Jesus and the first Christ followers. So the question that we often ask ourselves is, is it possible for the church to make that same kind of impact in the world? To have that kind of vibrant life, so much so that the gospel can spread like a virus and turn the world upside down. Now, if you're with us today and this is your first time with us or you're kind of new to our church family, I want you to know that we absolutely as a church believe that the church can significantly impact the world in which we live today. I believe that personally. It's why I'm a pastor because I absolutely believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And here's why. 
Because the center, the foundation, the heart of the church, it's not a strategy, it's not a program, it's not a model, it's not a lot of good intentions. At the center of the church is our leader and our king, Jesus. And Jesus, as God in human flesh, he showed up and he gave us the model for what it looks like to be for everyone. In fact, you could say it this way. Jesus didn't claim to have the best explanation of God. Jesus claimed to be the best explanation of God. Jesus literally came and said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says, if you want to know what God would do, then you need to watch me. If you want to know what God would say, then you need to listen to me. If you want to know how God would give, serve, and love, he says, I am the model. Because he comes along and he says, I and the Father are one. We are one and the same. Now, when Peter and all the Jews, or the early followers of Jesus, I should say, the Jewish early followers of Jesus, they realize that this is true, that Jesus, he says, I am God in human flesh, I and the Father one. When they realize this after the resurrection, it absolutely blew their minds because they realized Jesus, he didn't just demonstrate what God is like, he also demonstrated who God likes. And, and they realized that God is love. That God loves everybody and everybody matters to God. And when they got this, they took everything Jesus said seriously and they gave their lives to help launch this movement called the church. And I don't want you to miss this. When you follow the life of Jesus, you quickly find out that one of the things that caused so much tension between the religious leaders and Jesus was that he really was for everybody. See, the religious leaders of that day, when Jesus showed up on the earth, they believed that God loved them. They believed that only the healthy and the wealthy mattered to God. So if you were sick, or if you were poor, or if you were disabled or disadvantaged, it was because God was in some way displeased with you, or God was in some way angry with you. You didn't matter to God. So in their minds, if you didn't matter to God, then you don't have to matter to me. In their minds, only wealthy, prosperous Jewish men mattered to God. But Jesus comes along, and he clearly shows that he was for everybody. In fact, he hung out with anybody and everybody. In fact, he seemed to kind of go the extra mile looking for those who were excluded or those who were disdained by the religious people of that day. And Luke comes along, and he makes it very clear in his account of Jesus' life and ministry what Jesus' life and ministry modeled for us when it comes to being for everyone. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage all, encourage all of you to follow along in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, Luke records a scene where Jesus is invited to this dinner by a guy by the name of Simon. Now, the thing that makes Simon unique is that Simon was a Pharisee. Simon was a very religious per person. And so at this dinner party, something very unusual happened that really messed with this religious man and all the other religious leaders. Notice it with me, beginning in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees, that would be Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, 
Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So Jesus is comfortable in anybody's, com in anybody's company because he's like, there's no guilt by association. And so Jesus loves everybody. He's for everybody. So he's just kind of reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So you have this dinner party going on and Jesus is just comfortably hanging out with these religious people of that, that day. And this woman, she shows up and the passage says that she lived a very sinful life. Now that's just polite first century way of saying that she was a prostitute. And she comes with an alabaster jar of perfume. And in other passages of scripture tells us this story. And they say that it was, it cost a year's wages. So you need to understand the cost of this perfume. It was a very costly perfume. Now notice verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to weep, wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, this is just one of the most amazing tender scenes that you experience in the Bible. This lady is so desperate for hope and peace in her life that she doesn't really care what all the religious people in that room think about her. She is so desperate for something different than shame and being shamed in her life. She begins to weep and she believes that she has found that hope in this person called Jesus. She believes that he's her hope. And as she weeps, these tears begin to fall on Jesus's feet. I want you to imagine being in that room and watching this happen. It's a very tender moment. And so she begins to wipe those tears away with her hair. And I'm sure she's somewhat embarrassed in the process. And here's the interesting part in the story. Simon, the Pharisee, his reaction is so out of touch with what is happening in the moment between this lady and Jesus. And the reason I bring that up is because Simon's reaction is so much how often many of us react and here's what I mean by that. See, we seem to be okay with our struggles, don't we? We seem to be okay with our brokenness. We seem to be even okay with our sin. I mean, it's just a little sin. It's not a big sin. But here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that your sins are always little sins, but other people's sins are big sins? See, we're not okay with the struggles or the brokenness or the sins of other people, especially if our struggles are internal and their struggles, they show up external. Notice the reaction of Simon, the religious person, and then ask yourself, is this how you respond to sinners? Verse 39, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, literally if he was truly a person of God or a man of God, if he truly was of God, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, that she is a prostitute. Now before we get too judgmental Simon, 
Isn't that too, how, how often, or too often how we react to those sinners in our school, those sinners in our workplace, those sinners in our family, those sinners in our community. I mean, we pull out that newspaper or we send an article or we send a Facebook post to somebody. Can you believe these sinners? I mean, without even realizing it, we do just like Simon and we, we just jump into this arrogant, this condescending, this morally superior kind of mindset. Those sinners... And we don't even realize we're doing it. Now, here's why that's so important. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, don't miss what I'm about to say here. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your personal attitude toward people, any person out there, is what people see as the church's attitude toward them. See, our attitude toward those people that we classify as sinners. See, it's why so many people in our communities think the church is against them because they know a person in that is part of the body of Christ, the church that is so arrogant and condescending that they, those sinners. But here's what we know. We've said this before. The church is not a building. The church is not a meeting place. No, the church is a movement of people that are driven by the command of Jesus. You could say it is driven by the command of Jesus and the commission of Jesus to love everyone as he loved us. And here's the thing, if we're not careful, we quickly forget that we are still in the process of being transformed by Jesus. And we quickly become comfortable with our struggles and with our sins, but we're very quick to judge and point out other people's struggles and their sins. In fact, we can't wait till we can tell somebody else how sinful somebody else is so that we look better. And what we do in that process is we quickly forget how much Jesus has forgiven us for our past, all of our past sin, our present sin, and all of our future sin. In fact, as we're going to see in just a moment, we're, we're all the same when it comes to needing grace and mercy and forgiveness from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. But like Simon the Pharisee, we're really quick to exclude and marginalize those sinners Whatever that disdaining sin is in your mind, that's the ones that you get very vocal and vicious about. But as we're going to see, Jesus is for everyone. And to help Simon understand this, Jesus tells Simon this story to kind of help re reinforce this with just emphasis and clarity. I, I want you to notice that he makes this point. He says, you know, God, God is love. God loves everybody. Everybody matters to God. And notice how Jesus brings us out, starting in verse 40. Jesus answered him, him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? 
Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now notice what happens in this next verse. Then he turned toward the woman. Listen, your attitude about people always would determine your posture toward people. So Jesus, he turned toward the woman and he said, so your attitude about people not only determines your posture toward people, it also determines what you say about people. Notice what Jesus' posture is toward this sinner and what Jesus says about this sinner. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, meaning you didn't give me the customary common greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured, poured perfume, very expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And I don't want you to miss that statement. He's literally making a statement. Our understanding of our forgiveness determines our level of love. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this even forgives sins? Now, I'm just going to tell you, this whole story and this forgiveness statement that Jesus made to this lady, I, it was so confu confusing to Simon and the other religious leaders because people had always looked to the Pharisees to know what it meant to be in a right relationship with God. They would always look to the Pharisees to say, am I in a good standing with God? And the Pharisees thought it was their religious duty to remind sinners, women, shepherds, Samaritans, lepers, lame people, children, other people who did not measure up that God's favor rested on prosperous, wealthy, healthy men. But now Jesus is just messing up their little elite religious club and he's saying, no, I am for everybody. And if you watch the life and ministry or follow the life and ministry of Jesus in every interaction with everybody, he's for them. In fact, in every interaction with every person, he raises, he elevates their dignity as a human being. He gives them value. In fact, the punchline in Jesus' story with this woman is that this woman is more in touch with her sin and more in touch with God than Simon. Don't miss what I just said there. What Jesus is making Simon aware and making us aware of is that until you are in touch with your sin, you can't really be in touch with God's love and God's forgiveness in your life. So he's saying this woman, she's more in touch with her sin and therefore more in touch with God than this religious leader. And Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, you can learn a thing or two from this woman. But the thought that a religious leader could learn something from a sinner 
It really messes with this religious leader and all the other religious leaders of that day. And it also communicated very clearly for everyone there and to us as well that God is for everybody. But here's the thing. It was not just in Jesus' interaction with everybody that Jesus elevated their dignity that people in that culture considered like less than. His death, it showed the value of everyone because the value of something is, is what someone is willing to pay for, right? Think about that. So the question is, how much is a human being worth? I mean, how much is that human being worth that's in your neighborhood that you absolutely can't stand and you do everything you can just to kind of passively aggressive make their life miserable? How much is that human being worth that you spoke down to or you spoke down about this week? Or how much is that human being worth that you spoke with disdain about to somebody else because of their brokenness, their struggles, their sin? The Apostle Paul said it this way when he tried to help all of us begin to grasp the value of every human being. He says, this is the value of every human being to God. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus didn't see rich or poor, good or bad, Gentile or Jew, Samaritan or Roman. He didn't see male or female. He didn't see young or old, moral or immoral. No, Jesus saw every person as a person of great value and great worth, so valuable that the very Son of God would give up his life for them even while they were still opposed to him and sinners. In fact, look back at verse 44 and notice what Jesus says to Simon. This is such a powerful phrase. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? See, Jesus saw people. He, he didn't see a label. He, he didn't see an adjective that religious people had put on those sinners. And this is so powerful. Do you see this person? Do you see her for who she really is? Not who you think she is. Do, do you see her for who I created her to be and what I created her to become? And I think the question we have to ask ourselves today as the body of Christ, the church, do we see the people in our community? Do we see them as God sees them? Do we see them with clear enough spiritual eyes to sacrifice our time and our money to show them that God loves them, that God is for them by the way that we are for them? I mean, I think one of the primary things that brings a sense of dignity and value to a person is that they know that they are seen. In fact, knowing that you're seen, there's studies that show that knowing that you're seen, a baby knowing that it is seen by its mother, 
helps that baby feel a sense of security and a sense of abundance that you don't hardly get any other way. Knowing that you're seen by God gives you that sense of security and that sense of abundance that God is with you. And when God's people see people for who God made them to be and what God made them to become, all of a sudden it opens up doors that we never imagined that we could experience. See, Jesus made sure people knew they were seen. He, he saw the person, not the label, not the struggle, not the sin. But here's what we miss. When Jesus saw that person, he wasn't being naive. He, he wasn't just winking at the sin because Jesus, better than anybody, he knew the heart, he knew the minds of all mankind and he saw no difference then between the vainly religious and the broken, struggling sinner. And we miss that. And how do we miss that? And here's how we miss that. Because from the vantage point of pure holiness, whether you are a vainly religious person who sins, or you are a broken, struggling sinner, our individual sinfulness before God, it looks very much the same because a violation of holiness is a violation of holiness. And I think this is why Jesus had very little patience for self-righteousness. And it helps us understand how Jesus could be for everyone and why we should be for everyone. See, Jesus is telling Simon, he's saying, I'm for this lady. She, she understands who she is and she understands who I am. He's saying, I'm for everybody. See, Jesus is saying, I'm for a person who has never set foot in a church and I'm for the person who's always been in a church. Jesus is saying, I'm for those people with socially acceptable struggles and I am for those people with socially unacceptable struggles. He's saying, I'm for those people who have never taken a drink and I am for those people who are saying, God, I don't ever want to take a drink again, but they know that they're just on the verge of that. I mean, Jesus is for those who struggle with lust toward people of the opposite sex and Jesus is for those who struggle with lust toward people of the same sex. Jesus is for families that are falling apart and Jesus are for families that are pretending they have it all together. See, Jesus is for everyone, which means the good news for all of you at all of our churches is Jesus is for you. He's for you. And that's why Jesus says to this woman in verse 50, such beautiful words. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you, meaning when you discover the truth of who you are, that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that you are a sinner in need of the same grace, mercy, compassion, and kindness as that sinner over there that you classify because of their personal, external struggles. He says, when you discover the truth of who you are, that you're a sinner in need of a savior, and then you discover the truth of who I am, that I am your savior, then you can have peace because you know that you've been forgiven in spite of your brokenness and all of your sinfulness. And here's the thing, folks, because forgiveness is available to every one of us, 
Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we never, we never should find ourselves comparing ourselves to others and their sinfulness or seeing ourselves as better than others because every one of us, we need the same level of grace, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness from Jesus. So while we may be criticized at times at church for what we believe, that Jesus is the only way, he's the truth, he's the life. We should be famous as a church in all of our communities for how we are for everybody because people outside the church should know that they are welcome. They're not only just welcome here, they should know that we are for them. That should be the message we communicate, that we are for them because we're here to live out the great command and the great commission because see, our cue as followers of Jesus for how we treat people is by how Jesus treated people. And what Jesus' posture was, what his heart was, it showed up in his posture and it showed up in what he said. And this means that we believe everybody is somebody that God loves, that everybody is someone for whom our Savior died to save and redeem. And I'm telling you folks, when that begins to capture the heart of those of us who make up the church, then this is what I know. The church will do whatever it can, to whatever it takes to make sure everybody in our communities, in our world, know that God is for them by the way that we are for them. So here's what that means. When you came on our campuses today, you know that we are working to prove what and how we communicate to our communities that we're for them. In fact, that's why we've added four into our monthly rhythm. In fact, you'll notice that our signs and our graphics, they're being updated as well, just to kind of get more emphasis on be for in front of us as much as our communities. And so over the next few months before Easter of 2023, we're gonna have even more steps in place to communicate that we are for everyone. And here's why. Why for? Because God is love. God loves everybody. Everybody matters to God. So therefore, everybody should matter to us. So we are for because Jesus was for. We're for our communities because our communities are made of people that Jesus died for. And so over the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna dive in deeper to what that means and what it looks like to live that out practically. But practically, here's what this can do for you today. If it's your first time here with us today, man, we want you to know that we're for you. I mean, before even we know who you are or what you've done in your life, before you ever believe, if you never believe, we as a church, we're for you. And here's why I say that, because God is for you. And the other thing is, is if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, please understand that our leader and our king, he's called us to follow his example and to be for everyone. This is why we say that you need to be for your communities. Because think about this, we all live, we all work, and we all play in our communities. So why in the world would we not be for the people who live, work, and play in our communities? And a practical way that we can show that we're for our communities by asking those in our neighborhood, by asking those in our workplace, by asking those that go to school with us. Make this the posture of your life. Make this what you say to people by your attitudes, your actions, and your conversations. Here's the question. You want to write this down because this needs to become like your posture, your attitude, what you say to people. What can I do for you? You don't have to use those exact words, 
But that was kind of Jesus when he turned and, and he looked at the woman and he said, do you see this woman? It's this whole idea of Simon. I'm here to do something for this woman. And here's what I can tell you. When you start living with this question, what can I do for you as your posture and as your attitude toward people, what you do is you begin to create common ground and it begins to open doors for you to be able to show people that God is for them by the way that you are for them. And here's the thing. You don't have to agree with something, everything that somebody does in their life or how a person lives or what their political views are, what their religious views are to ask this question, what can I do for you? You can love people even though you disagree with people. See, here's what we mean by that. Being for is putting love into action the way that Jesus loved. It's the only way to get better at this whole thing of just saying, what can I do for you? So the way that we practice getting better together is through giving, serving, and loving. So for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be for our communities by giving, by serving, and by loving. So next week is our big give week. And just a reminder, next week is the fourth Sunday of the month. So this is when we normally do our $4 for others for our communities. But since this is kind of moving into the holiday season. And once a year, we do this big give to some of our nonprofits in our communities that serve our communities every year. So this year, we're gonna give uh, back to our nonprofits and our communities that serve our communities. Also, we're gonna give half of this giving next week to uh, Convoy of Hope because they're doing such an amazing job helping our, na our neighbors who were hit by the hurricane. So next week, our challenge for each of you is to give $40 for others. So if you're new around here, I'm just telling you, this is an exciting Sunday, Sunday because you give so much money to bless so many organizations. I mean, it just helps them move further faster. It's just absolutely amazing what you do. In fact, over the last five or six years, you've given over a half a million dollars um, back to our communities just to help those organizations impact our communities in powerful ways. Now, some of you, I know, instead of doing $40, you're gonna do like you've done in the past, you're gonna give three or $4,000. Others of you, you'll give $400. Some of you give $40. Some of you might give $20. Some of you, see, the idea is not the amount. We just say, okay, let's, let's up our giving for this Sunday because we really wanna bless the nonprofits in our communities and, and, and Convoy of Hope. The goal is not the amount. That's why we never put a goal up there. The goal is 100% participation, that we all are doing this together. And then in two weeks, we're gonna focus on being generous with acts of service and acts of love. And we have ways that you can get involved in both of those, just great ways you can do that. But as we wrap up today, um, what we wanna do is you walk out of the auditorium, we're gonna give you a gift that's gonna be a reminder that's gonna help you live out this posture of what can I do for you as an attitude and as what you say to everybody you interact with in our communities moving forward. So when you leave today, our guest services team are gonna be handing out um, a new car cling. Some of you, you've got some of the old car clings, but some of those are kind of really ratty. So we're like, and some of you don't even have those, so we're gonna give you those. Now, you'll wanna put this on your car, but here's the thing, you need to wash your car, okay? So it really does look like you're even for your car, right? But the deal is, look like you're for yourself as well before you tell other people you're for them. So wash your car, put the car cling on. Some of you, you're gonna need to put the car cling on the dashboard in your car to remind you that that four cling is on your car somewhere, right? So that you truly are driving like you're four people. But here's the other thing. Ask for as many clings as you want. 
So here's why. So that you can put them wherever because this whole four symbol that you have on your car, that you have on your t-shirts, it's not just some kind of marketing strategy. No, it is a reminder for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that we, are, we have a commitment to live out the great commission and the great command. That we're to go into all the world and share this good news that Jesus is for them. And we challenge every one of you to participate over these next two weeks. I mean, even if you give, you know, a dollar, it doesn't matter. Just be a part of this process. Because here's what we know. A church for everyone has to be full of people for everyone. In fact, that's why our our dream team today are wearing four shirts. Because we want to make sure that you as a church know who is for you and is happy to serve you. So if you see somebody wearing one of those olive color, whatever color that uh, green shirt is, um, you know, with that four logo, they're here to serve you. They showed up today to serve you. So go up to them and say, hey, I'd like a bottle of water. Can you open my water? Or hey, I'd like some coffee, two creams and, and a sugar in it, some whatever. Hey, I'd like you to clean up my car. Or go drive my car up to the front door for me. No, I'm teasing. That's a little bit far, Right. But basically, it's to remind you and to remind those who have those shirts on, we're here for everyone. So, again, why for? Because God is love. He is love. God loves everybody. Everybody matters to God. And because that is true, when people think about our church family, our prayer is that they see us as a movement that is impacting our communities for good because we have a 110% commitment to living out the great command and the great commission. And so when they ask or think or talk about our church family in the community, they, they might say, man, I don't know everything about that church, but I do know that they are for each other. They are a church that loves each other so well. They don't backbite. They don't gossip. They don't bicker. They don't have church committee meetings and fight. They don't vote on things. They love each other instead. And by the way, they don't just love the church. They love the community. They love their neighbors. They are for the people in our community. And they are for me because this is how they loved me. So here's my challenge to you today. Let's go be for others because here's the thing. It opens up doors for us to have conversations with other people that help them understand that God is for them. And then they can live with the forgiveness and the peace that Jesus promised to this lady who showed up and anointed his feet. Listen, today I wanna challenge you. If you don't know Jesus, come close to him because he will see you for who you are and what he's made you to become, not what everybody else has labeled you. But for those of you who know Jesus, let me tell you, we have a commitment to live out. As a follower of Jesus, we have a commitment to live out the great command and the great commission. And here's what I know, it will make a great church. It will make a great church, have a great impact in a community for more at a level we never can imagine. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your incredible love to us. I thank you that you are the model of what love looks like so that we understand when we say God is love, we have an image of what that looks like in the person of Jesus. And I thank you that you taught us that everybody matters to God. And every time we see the cross in an empty tomb, we understand the value of every person. And God, may we not be like Simon 
and get confused that our religious sins are somehow less sinful than those people we have labeled sinners. But I pray that as we continue to lean in to being a church that is for each other, a church that is for our neighbors, a church that is for the people in our schools, in our, in our workplaces, in our communities, God, that we will get so passionate to live out the great commission of going and sharing this gospel that you're for everyone. And we will be so committed to living out the great command. And that is to love others like you loved us, that our communities, God, it will turn them upside down and begin to change the world in which we live, just like the first century followers of Jesus experienced. God, that's possible because you indwell us as your followers. And we can live this life of being for and loving as you loved because your love flows through us. So may we be committed to that from this day forward. And every time we see a four shirt, every time we see the four emblem, may it be a reminder, hey, as a follower of Jesus, I'm 110% committed to the great command and the great commission. God, that's our heart, that's our prayer. We now ask for your presence as we go live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, make sure you get as many clings as you want on your way out. Have a great day and a great week showing other people your form.